0: I'm very excited to start a new series of messages with you, and I'm particularly excited for you that may be tuning in for the very first time. Uh, Some of you, more than likely, don't know me personally, but you do know me because you and I are so much alike. Every human being that you will ever meet, just like myself, we are constantly looking for the best life afterward. It's not even conscious, we just do it instinctively. We're looking for the highest happiness that a human being can have. But here's the truth that we never quite understand sufficiently in many cases. It's not what happens to us. We tend to fixate on our circumstances, but it's not what happens to us. It's not our circumstances. It is what happens in us that really determines the level of our happiness or the quality of our life. So we're going to concentrate in this series of messages on six toxic conditions that unless we recognize them, unless we find the right way, the one and only right way to handle them, we will always be finding that the happiness we seek is elusive. It doesn't doesn't matter if our circumstances are perfect, we still won't be happy. Because remember, it's not what happens to us, it's what's happening in us that is the pathway to wholeness. And that's what we're calling this series. When Jesus was on earth, it was not an uncommon thing for Him to say to people that came to Him that they would be made whole on the basis of their connection with Him through trusting in Him. Be made whole. What does this mean? It means that I am becoming the human being that God intended me to become, and I am being inwardly prepared to do the things that God has equipped me to do. When I become who God intended me to become and do the things that He has equipped me to do, I find that that happiness quotient goes on, or it raises up, but I still have to deal with certain toxic conditions. We're going to start with three toxic conditions in the first three talks. Now, these are toxic conditions that you and I tend not to know about for large parts of our life. They're, They're just kind of there. We're not exactly always sure how they came to be, but typically we awaken to them to some measure at some point. The second part of this series. We're going to deal with three conditions that you and I have much more direct immediate control over that we can alleviate much quicker. These first three conditions, frankly, um, even once we are aware of them and we learn the correct way of dealing with them, they usually take some time and patience and humility and that kind of thing. So I want to start today. The first message is this. It's dealing with how can I go from being disheartened To being enthusiastic from being disheartened or discouraged or despondent maybe a little depressed how can i go from that down condition to being enthusiastic because uh, clearly god has equipped us to do this so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple psalms that were written by david david was an individual that experienced vast differing conditions in life And he was poetic and musical and he wrote profusely and the Spirit of God used him. And so I'm going to start by reading him describing, David is describing what the life of being disheartened is like. We we want to just examine it. What does it look like when you're disheartened? What does it sound like when you're disheartened? What does it feel like when we are disheartened? I'm going to start reading in Psalm 38 and we're going to read a few verses. This is David speaking biographically. Verse 30, chapter 38 in Psalms, verse 8, I feel utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My anguish is increased, he says in Psalm, thun, Psalm 39 as well. So here is David just giving this description that many of us perhaps even as we're kind of sitting and watching today we're more or less familiar with perhaps even the circumstances that have occurred in the past 16 weeks have brought us to that place where we're feeling pretty much crushed like David said we're pretty, pretty much in anguish we're sighing and 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 we're just kind of groaning to get through life maybe maybe some of us have heard these thoughts go through our own heads recently i just can't take anymore, I'm I'm done. I, I don't know what I'm gonna do, I can't stand anymore. Now, now I wanna warn you something. It is okay, not unusual to have those kind of thoughts, but do not let them linger and do not listen to them. They are lies. We can take as much as we need to take and frankly, sometimes by taking more than we can take and depending on God, He will cleanse us, He will strengthen us, He will give us new resilience, He will give us expanded capacities. To learn and love and live in ways that we wouldn't if we didn't go beyond what we can take. But we have to learn how to work with Him on those things. So let's talk. I want to talk to you starting about four conditions that can lead to us finding ourselves as those that have a tendency to be disheartened or despondent or or depressed or down. Some of us, we just have a tendency toward that. The the first cause I want to just call the mystery. We, We just find that from our earliest memories in life, we have this tendency to be sad, to be blue, to be despondent, to be discouraged, to feel a little uncomfortable inside. I I met a guy many years ago who told me a story that just really illuminated this for me. He grew up in a Christian family. He went to Christian school. He went on then to go to a Christian college. He married a Christian girl who was a pastor's daughter. They got married and after about a year, they were um, at dinner eating pizza And the the girl said to him, she said, you know, we're adults now. There's nothing wrong with drinking a beer, even though we're Christians. Let's get a beer. This guy drank one beer, then he drank two beers. He said when, when he drank the second beer, he said he felt something he had never felt in his entire life. He said for the first time in his life, he felt some peace and he felt some relaxation. And he felt sort of like some joy was rising up what he recognized is that his entire life when he looked back on it he had been depressed he had been a little discouraged a little disheartened from birth it seemed to be genetic for some of us for some of us we just inherit some genetics maybe some brain factors it could be some biochemical things but we are disposed to be despondent by the way this sort that story about that fellow it ends very badly because Once he experienced that through the use of a chemical, alcohol, he could alter his mood inside, he became immediately addicted to alcohol. From alcohol, he went on to barbiturates. He became a lifelong addict in and out of multiple treatment programs, in and out of jail. It it ravaged his life. But where it all started was he was just trying to escape that uncomfortable feeling that he had always had all his life, and he, he didn't know where it came from. So some of us we don't know why we're a little bit disheartened, but we just are. That's case number one. Case number two, some of us, we have a tendency to be disheartened and to be discouraged or a little bit depressed, a little bit down, because we've experienced some trauma in life. It could be that those that were our our first nurturers and caretakers, Uh, They weren't very open to us, they didn't help us to feel loved, they didn't help us to feel connected, safe. Maybe we were brought up in an environment where there was a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, a lot of instability. Maybe we had an experience where we were abused, maybe we had an experience where we were humiliated, but some kind of trauma occurred and from that trauma, we just were broken down. We just became down people, disheartened, discouraged. It became a coping mechanism, we didn't dare let ourselves expect anything better because the the fear of being disappointed further and the crushing pain that it brings was more than we could bear. And then there are some of us, we we have a tendency to be despondent, to be down, and I'm going to call it uh, family osmosis. And here's what I mean. We grew up in a family where everyone in that family was just a little bit disheartened, a little bit despondent, a little bit negative, a little bit hypercritical, a little bit down. And this was normal to us. We just absorbed it. It was like osmosis. It made its way into our minds, our emotions, our memories, the the way we viewed life. And so some of us, without even knowing it, it wasn't our fault. Remember, group number one, it's a mystery. It might be biochemical, it might be genetic. We don't know how we got it. Group number two. Some trauma set us off to be those that are down and negative and despondent. Group number three, osmosis. We might have grown up in a family that was hypercritical, negative, everybody was a bit down and maybe had low-grade anger as well. That you they usually go together. So we absorbed it into us. To us, it just that seemed to be normal. And there's a fourth, and the fourth is the most obvious. And that's circumstantial. It is legitimate that sometimes we can become despondent, disheartened, discouraged, even depressed because of uh, the sudden occurrences of uncontrollable circumstances. David, the writer of this psalm, was one of those individuals. He starts his life out as, as just this, this God-loving shepherd boy. And then Samuel the prophet comes to him, suddenly anoints him and says, you're the chosen king of Israel to replace the first king, which was King Saul. Before he knows it, King Saul is calling him into his court. He was a gifted musician to play music to soothe the troubled soul of King Saul. Before he knows it again, Goliath is challenging and humiliating the armies of Israel. And David, being a God-loving man who depended upon God, he challenges Goliath and he wins. So suddenly he goes from being the shepherd kid to being the hero of Israel. King Saul gives to David his daughter. So now he's married to the king's daughter. He goes from A nobody to an everybody within a very short amount of time, probably a year or less. Then all of a sudden, King Saul turns against him and tries to kill him two different times. David suddenly has to run. He loses his wife. He loses his life. He loses his privilege. And he spends the next approximately five years of his life living like a fugitive, wondering, God, what does this mean? You sent Samuel to anoint me. You said that you, you know, I was your chosen king. Then why, why is this going on? Remember one thing, folks. Remember when you read about David in these Psalms, David did not have what you and I have today, 66 books of the Bible, a full revelation of God given to us in the Bible and in Christ. David had eight books of the Bible in his possession, maybe nine, maybe the book of Job. And and so he had a very small picture of what God was really like, and so he was more easily confused and rattled. But his circumstances brought him low. Hence that thing we read, I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you. Oh Lord, my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails. Even the light from my eyes is gone. And maybe some of you because of some significant losses that even this COVID-19 period has brought to you. It could be some economic losses. It could be some relational losses. It could be others, but their real losses, real circumstances can indeed bring us to that place of being disheartened, despondent, discouraged, maybe even depressed. So here's the question, though. We started by saying we want to find out the pathway to wholeness. So how do you go from being disheartened to being enthusiastic? Or or is that even realistic for human beings in this world where where so few things are certain and where... Bad things can happen to good people at any given time. Is there such a reality as this? The answer, the good news, the really good news is, yes, there is. And the God of this universe, the true creator, the most wonderful personage in the universe, He wants to bring each and every human to a place of healing and wholeness. He wants to take those toxic conditions that rob us of our peace, rob us of our joy, rob us of our happiness. He wants to bring healing to them, bring wholeness to us. Because remember what I said, it's not what happens to us from the circumstantial exterior. It is what happens in us that determines our happiness in life. So let me show you David speaking again. This time we're going to go to Psalm 16. And let me just start by reading verse 9 to you and listen to how different his condition is. By the way, the Psalms are not in a chronological order if you're wondering about that. David speaks, he says in Psalm 16, verse 9, "...therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure." This is pretty different than what we just read about he was in anguish, he was crushed, he was groaning, he was sighing. Where did this come from? How did this guy go from being so disheartened, so broken, so, so beaten by life and circumstances... How did he go from there to here where he's talking about he's he's full of joy and even his body feels good? You know and I know when your mind, emotions, and reason are, are feeling good and healthy and strong and your conscience is clear and you know that in you, you have nothing but goodwill toward God and human beings, even your body starts to feel better and progress because we are built by our Creator, Spirit, soul, and body, and one impacts the other. So David makes this declaration. Let me read it to you again. He says, Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure. So how, how did David get from despondency, the pit of despair, to the pinnacle of enthusiasm? Let's read the verses that go before, and he discloses it to us. Let me start with verse 7. David says in Psalm 16, verse 7, I will praise the Lord Who, listen to this part, I will praise the Lord. Who? Who does what? Does what, David? You'll praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Let's pause. What is David talking about? David is saying, let me remind you again, he had possession of eight books of the Bible, maybe a ninth, maybe the book of Job. And he took God's Word into his mind, into his heart. He read it, he studied it, and then he thought about it. He meditated, he prayed for insight, and he said that God counseled him at night. God took his Word and gave David a different perspective, a changed perspective on life. David had been looking at the problems, and the problems looked enormous, and the problems were blocking out God. Now, when he's receiving the counsel, the word of God, the word of God is filling his mind and conscious awakening moments. All of a sudden, God is the big lens that he views his problems through. It's like reversing that telescope. The problems look small now because he's looking at the problems through the lens of God. Some of you got to hear that again. My tendency, your tendency, human beings, our tendency is to be so blinded by the problems. It's like taking a dime. If you hold two dimes out in front of you like this, they don't block out anything. You can see whatever you want to see, but I can take those tiny, tiny little dimes and put those right over my eyes and they will block out the sun as big as the sun is. I have the ability, you have the ability, we tend to do this, to become so focused on the problems that we don't see God. But David, when he got the Word of God working around in his mind and he started thinking about it, meditating, he received the counsel of God. And all of a sudden, God becomes the lens through which he views the problems and that changes everything. He became kind of God-centered and God-conscious. Now I know what some of you are thinking, you're saying, Randy, you know, I'm just kind of an ordinary guy and you know i'm not some monk i can't go around thinking about god all the time that that's maybe for people like you or something but that's not me that is not true this listen, listen what the bible says and this is what makes you such a beautiful wonderful extraordinary being god made you god made me in his own image the greatest most generous gift that the creator could do was to create beings that had the capacity to experience life on the level that he himself experiences let me show you where i'm going with this a flower has life in it right a tree has life in it right Um, a, a cat or a dog has life in it right But can a flower or a tree experience life like a cat or a dog? No, the cat and dog experience life in a far superior capacity. But what about comparing a cat or a dog to a human being? we can experience life on a much, much higher level. The most generous, loving thing the Creator could do was to create beings like Himself. And it says that we are made by Christ the Creator and for Christ. And our lives were never meant to be lived separated from Him. I am fully human and fully alive. It is my normal state of being as a human being when I view my life through the lens of Christ. I'm living from the presence of Christ. I'm not dis- distracted, I'm not separated from him. That's normal. Now, does that mean that it's automatic? It does not mean that it's automatic. You're gonna see that in a minute. But all of a sudden he has this reversal of perspective and the problems start to look a little more manageable. He starts to see where his you know, his despondency and his despair came from. They don't look quite as unmanageable. Those phrases, those lies we tell ourselves. I can't take anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. I got to quit. I got to do something to alter my mood or I got to find a way to escape. Those are deceptive traps and lies. Do not, do not take action on those things. So he suddenly gets this change of perspective. Now look at what happens in verse 8 because this is critical. So let me go back. He says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me Listen to verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Let me read it again. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David, what do you mean you set the Lord always before you? And because He's at your right hand, you will not be shaken. How do you set the Lord always before you? I mean, he's invisible. He doesn't speak to us audibly. How do you do this, David? Uh, Is that just religious fanatical stuff that you just kind of trick your own mind to believe in that God's there and and, and that's what motivates your life? I want you to think about something. Is oxygen present today in this room? Uh, I can't see it, but it's present. If you took the oxygen out of this room, out of my lungs, I would certainly see the results. Let me ask you this, is gravity present in this room today? Is it is it a real force, a real power, but it's invisible? I can't see it. Now, I don't go around, and I'm sure you don't go around every day, saying, man, am I glad there's oxygen around me today. Boy, thank you, oxygen. I'm glad you're moving in and out of my body and keeping me alive. Nor do we walk around saying, gravity, thank you. I'm so glad I'm not sailing up into the sky. Thank you, gravity. Thank you, gravity. No. We don't think about them. They are real, they are powerful, they are invisible, but we don't think about them, but they are real. God, for this period of time, while He's granting human beings freedom to be who we really want to be, He does not want to overwhelm us with His presence. He gives us more than compelling evidence about Himself, His goodness, His kindness, His love, His trustworthiness. He's the safest, most beautiful person in the universe. He's proven that in Christ but he backs off. He's gentle. He reveals himself gently, mostly through the pages of this book we call the Bible. And he waits. He allows us to choose him to choose righteousness or not to. If he manifested his presence in its full power, we'd lose our free will. We'd we'd be overwhelmed quickly. He doesn't. However, his presence is just as real as gravity, just as real as oxygen. So what did David do? David said, I have set the Lord always before me. He made a decision. He made a decision. I am going to keep my mind reminded. I'm going to remind myself daily. I'm going to remind myself multiple times if I need to, and I'm especially going to remind myself when I feel I'm tumbling down. I'm going to remind myself God is with me. He sees what's happening. He's witnessing everything that I experience. He feels what I feel on the inside. He is at my right hand. What did they mean by He's at my right hand? It means God is for me. He, God is for me and He's with me when I know it and feel it and when I don't know it and I don't feel it. When I feel like no one is with me, no one is for me, God is. He is always for you, for me, with you, with me. The only, the only missing element is will you and will I? Set the Lord always before us so that we can experience the powerful dynamic change that occurs when we live with the awareness of god's <laughs> we live with the awareness of God's presence, presence with us and his favor toward us and I know what some of you are thinking some of you um, you're, you're saying, man, Randy, I, I, I just don't know. I, I'm not confident that God's for me. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm, I'm far from perfect. Listen, Jesus' death on the cross was the eternal announcement that God understands my sin, your sin, your failure, my failure, your brokenness, my brokenness, and He welcomes us with open arms. He embraces us. He wants to put us on the path to wholeness. He doesn't just want to forgive us. He wants to heal us and. Help us. He is always, he's for you when nobody else is for you. He understands you when nobody else understands you, and he will not forsake you. And David understood this, and he trained his mind, not tricked his mind. Listen to what I'm saying. He trained his mind to fasten into reality. God is just as real and just as present and just as for us as his oxygen, as his gravity. It's just the question, will I train my mind? Will I sensitize my mind to live from his presence as a dynamic, transforming reality? That's the way human beings were meant to live. We were meant to live for Christ and through Christ. When we are most human, most fully alive, when we find our truest self, it is when we are living in trusting unity with our creator and our minds just find you'll find it you start practicing the presence of God you start reminding yourself of his presence you're going to find that it's easy to do. you can be busy and focused on your work and all the various things around you and you never lose that sense of his presence and it's a powerful, powerful thing David's secret change perspective he let God's word start changing his view he started seeing the problems through the lens of God. second thing he did intentional focus. I set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. That took him from that place of being disheartened to that place of being enthusiastic. Last principle. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He's now speaking directly to God. (sighs) I'm sorry. Uh, He says, You have made... You have made known to me, listen to this, you have made known to me the path of life, the series, the path to wholeness. You have made known to me the path of life. (laughs) And you will, future tense, you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures, eternal pleasures. They go past time, they go past death, they go past the grave, eternal pleasures at your right hand. So now David, as he's spending this time of communing with God, he gets this glimpse of God's eternal purposes for human beings that this life is meant to be a developmental journey and death is not the end, far from it. Death is the transition from one dimension to the next dimension. This life is meant to be training ground whereby we learn to to reconnect with our Creator Christ through trust and then let His truth start to transform us and bring healing and rid us of toxic inner conditions so that the wholeness of life, we can start to experience now. But David knew that he had a future. He knew that he he had a hope that nothing, no circumstance could take away. Folks, human beings need hope. We, We always have to have a hope that nothing can shake. And David had that. He knew he was destined by God for eternal pleasures in the dimension in which God lives, a dimension where there's no sin, sorrow, sickness, pain, and death where there's eternal pleasures at the right hand of God. He knew, he knew that awaited him. You can know that, I can know that. We have even more evidence because Jesus, our creator, came to this planet, took on human form, died a sacrificial death to prove his unselfish devotion and love for us offered us total forgiveness, welcomed us back home, proved Himself the safest person in the universe so that there's no reason for us not to trust Him. And He promised us eternal life at His hand and pleasures forevermore. And He proved it by rising from the dead Himself. He not only raised three people from the dead when He was on the earth doing His ministry, but He Himself rose. And so He promises to do the same for us. We have so much more evidence than David had. And yet David had confidence in this. So David had three things going on. He had a changed perspective. He had intentional focus. And he had an accurate understanding of life. Man, that one part of this verse, it, it just it rattles me because it's so beautiful. You have made known to me the path of life. Folks, the longer I've walked with Christ, the longer I've let God's Word just work in me and teach me and enlighten me, the thing that has become so much more clear in my older days is is the path of life, the path to wholeness. I see that God's will is the best thing in the world. There's nothing I can do better for myself than to obey God's word. That that's where I can experience His love in all its fullness. He has shown me the meaning to life. He has shown me the pathway to life. He has shown me why things are as they are. Why there's evil, why there's pain, why there's death. Why He's allowing evil for a little while so that He can abolish it forever. It all makes beautiful sense the Creator's plan Man is perfect, and it has the power to take anyone who will embrace it from being disheartened to being enthusiastic. So I want to close by asking this question. What does this look like in real practice? I mean, Randy, are you trying to say that I just go around with a giddy look on my face all the time and nothing can ever rattle me? I'll never be disheartened again. I'll never be discouraged again. I'll never be despondent. I'll never be depressed again. No, I'm not saying that. That would not be realistic. But what I am saying is this, when the disheartenment comes, when the discouragement comes, when the despondency comes, when the depressed state comes, God will give you, give me a power to move from it again and again and again, and not be held under it and move to a place of enthusiasm. Now, enthusiasm is a word that I really love. The, the, the word in Greek, it's a Greek word, enthousiasmos. And here's what the word meant. Enthusiasmos meant one that is possessed of God. So when we say, we don't know this today, but when we say that person's enthusiastic, and, and that means they're, they're energized, they're motivated, when a person is enthusiastic, it means literally they are possessed by God. So what does this look like in real practice, in real time life? Let me show you what it's like. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of being in a swimming pool or maybe in the ocean or something like that, and you've got a ball that's full of air. might be a beach ball or something like that, or a ball you're just throwing around, a big, big ball. It's got to have some volume to it. And so you're strong, you're heavy. You take that ball and you can use your power to submerge it and hold it under the water. And as long as your power holds that ball under the water, sure enough under the water the ball will stay but what's that ball doing what's that ball doing if you if you release your grip just for 1 second from that ball what happens that ball comes flying back up to the surface folks that is what God wants to do for you and I. He wants to bring healing to that toxic propensity that we may have toward being disheartened, discouraged, despondent, depressed. He wants to bring to us a new enthusiasm. And enthusiasm comes by a changed perspective, by intentional focus on the presence of God who is for us and with us, by an accurate understanding of the purposes of God, the promises of God for the future. When we stay focused on that, we become god possessed instead of air inside the ball that pops it to the surface, you, I, we are filled with, possessed by God so that no matter how much discouragement comes, despondency comes, depression comes, it can't hold us down for long. There's something in us that just keeps us popping up again and again and again and again, and we're more likely to float on top on top than to be pushed down under. And it takes more and more and more to push us down under and nothing can hold us under. That's what this looks like in real life. When we let the Word of God and the Spirit of God bring the kind of healing to this toxic condition, we're kind of calling being disheartened, the propensity to be despondent, to be discouraged, to be depressed. If we let the Spirit of God go to work on us and we cooperate with God, we will be enthusiastic, God-possessed. And nothing will hold us down for long. That is your destiny. That's the gift that the living God, the real creator, wants to give to you starting this very day. I hope this message has made you think. And let's ask a question or two as we close. Did you identify more with the first part of this message or the second part? I mean, maybe you're the one that's sighing and groaning and you're in anguish and the light has gone out of your eyes and you're saying, Randy, that's where I'm at today. That's okay. Because a loving God brought you to hear that you do not have to stay there. He wants to put you on the path to wholeness. He wants to bring enthusiasm and energy and motivation back into your life. You've got to get a God orientation in your life. You've got to practice the presence of God every day of your life for the rest of your life because it's true. And you've got to get an accurate understanding of what God's will and way and purpose and plans are. And that will transform you. And God will possess you in the way that as a human being made in His image by Christ and for Christ, you were always meant to be possessed. We were meant to be God-filled beings. And when we are, we are enthusiastic and nothing. Nothing can steal that enthusiasm for long. So I hope, I hope you'll take this to heart because I know that God meant for some of you to receive for the first time in your life a new way, a new path to wholeness in this area of your life. Let me pray with you. My Father, my God, I can't... I can't count the number of times that like that ball, I've been pushed down and been under and been at the end and watched your spirit push me right back up to the surface because of you, not because of me, because of your kindness, your faithfulness, your grace, your goodness. I just pray to that person who feels the most hopeless, the most broken, the closest to throwing in the towel and quitting, that your spirit will show them this is truth and call them to the way of endless enthusiasm. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, FCF.